Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw Audio Experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. I want to welcome you back to another episode of what I've branded Pivotal, since these interview-style segments tackle impactful CBG industry topics and lessons from the business leaders that live it every day. After years of keeping the CPG industry in suspense, the FDA recently concluded that CBD cannot be regulated under existing frameworks for dietary supplements and foods or beverages. What? Why? How? Well, I read the FDA announcement both at face value and between the lines, the current state of CBD within the CPG industry is the type of nuanced subject matter that requires additional expertise if I'm going to reach the level of insights I believe you deserve. With a multi-year background at the FDA and current C-suite experience at a publicly traded CBD supplement company, I knew Dr. Sybil Swift would be the perfect person to help me with this content. Beyond the ins and outs of that recent FDA announcement, we talked about our confidence in Congress to help, how the DEA is getting involved with enforcement of synthetic cannabinoids, and what the Twitter advertising announcement might mean to the broader business community. Those are just some of the fascinating topics we chatted about in this episode But without further delay, here is my recent conversation with the Chief Science Officer and Vice President of Regulatory Affairs at CBDMD, Dr. Sybil Swift. First off, um, I guess I got to say that I was disappointed that I had to leave early to the uh, Sports and Active Nutrition Summit last week. I had some projects and things that I had to kind of work on, but I missed your panel. I heard it was great. Um, Lucky, I guess, enough for me and my audience that we kind of already worked out something that uh, you would be gracious to giving me some of your time. And we'd be able to talk like a little bit deeper on some of these things that are going on, like good, bad, frustrating with the uh, CBD world lately. But um, if you'll humor me for a second, I'll kind of explain, at least from my perspective, like as a functional CPG strategist, like the last like five years or so, It's interesting to watch like what's been going on because like every industry professional probably from like late 2017 to like very early 2020, like it was like the hot topic to talk about CBD. Everybody was like wanting to launch CBD things. They were trying to figure out like how do we position ourselves in the market to be uh, both, uh, I guess, safe and and, and cover ourselves, but also be, you know, aggressive and, and take advantage of some of the growth that was happening in the market. And then all of a sudden like crickets happened. Um, Obviously, 2020 was a little bit weird, and the FDA was handling some uh, public health-type crisis things, which I totally understand. (laughs) uh, But they didn't really help the CBD uh, industry or or just cannabis industry as a whole to get out of that kind of like regulatory purgatory state. 
even though more states were legalizing it and taxing it to kind of cover up some budget gaps and kind of all these things that I thought as a strategist, maybe they were going to get a little bit more, I don't know, uh, sense of urgency here. But um, they tended to maybe keep the ambiguity in the market by saying, we're going to enforce, maybe we're not going to enforce, uh, we're going to send letters, we're not going to send letters. I don't know. There was all kinds of different kind of craziness things that were going on. Um, but it's frustrating from my perspective, I'm sure from your perspective and anybody else that's closely related to, to CBD, because you don't know like from product development or labeling compliance or marketing investments or anything like that, because you don't really know the stance of what was going on. And, and you're obviously super deep in this category. You have been for the last couple of years, even before that. Um, and I'm excited to hear like some of your insights and everything about a bunch of different kind of questions that I have. But I guess we'll kind of start off with, you know, this recent uh, news from the FDA that they, I would say, probably like kicked the can down the street a little bit further. And, and it's mostly around, I think, their concern that maybe there's some safety concern with CBD. And, and from my perspective, and you can obviously tell me I'm, I'm not right on this or not, but it seems a little bit like uh, bullshit. I don't know. Uh, excuse, excuse my French, but I, oh, how, how are you kind of feeling about like the FDA kind of citing that there's some safety concerns with the CBD, uh, you know, as a whole? So you took my favorite word, which is bullshit. Yes. So I'm going to say disingenuous <laughs> and fear mongering, which are essentially the same. Like it's all the same thing, which where do you want to say it and what form are you saying it in? So it that announcement was just another in a series of steaming piles of disappointment from the agency. I'm, I, I don't know any other way to describe it. We, we were waiting for it. We were excited about it. We thought something was actually coming out, maybe a draft guidance, maybe an enforcement discretion. It maybe they've woken up and realized it's not as bad as they're saying it is. So we've taken every opportunity that we can to present and to speak. And I don't think I'm ever going to be invited back on a science board meeting again. <laughs> so FDA had uh, opened up a comment for a science board. They hold the hold phones. FDA is afraid that CBD could be pharmacologically active. I lost my mind. I absolutely lost my mind. So I, as a scientist, as a former regulator, I mean, the whole point of taking a supplement is that it does something above what a food does, but below what a drug does, right? Like it fits in that nice gray space. So the whole point of taking a supplement is it's going to do something for you. Structure and function of the body, not a drug. It's not gonna, it's not gonna cure anything, right? But it does something. And so to say that it has activity and for that to be a concern is fear-mongering. I mean, are they, what are they, which ingredient, and we'll get into that, are they gonna take off, off next, right? So that science board meeting, I laid into them about all of the other ingredients that have pharmacological activity, how they have a structure function notification process that was created for that purpose so that companies can come and tell the agency why they think their ingredient does something and what it does, what support they have. So if they're going to completely kill their supplement program, right, and say we don't care about the structure function notification process, I get it. So this most recent announcement, they outlined all the rules that we already we already follow and that all supplement manufacturers are supposed to be following. So they have labeling in there. You're right. It is a supplement manufacturer's responsibility to ensure that they've done the safety studies to ensure that what they're telling people they can eat, you know, who can take it and who can't, you know, how much they should take, how long they should take it for and the potential benefits. There should be no concerns. 
Now, if there are populations that you're not sure it's safe for, you label around them. You tell them this product is not intended for pregnant populations or those looking to conceive. That's the point of the labeling guidelines and the rules. So I looked at that announcement and saw labeling in there. I saw GMP, which if you're a responsible supplement manufacturer, you've gone out and gotten a third, you've, you've gone through a third party GMP audit, like you're supposed to, you have the appropriate documentation. I know what it is that I'm feeding to people. And I know that I'm bringing it down a level and I'm speaking it. This is the basics of the regs. Yeah. The regs read like radio speak or like, you know, Ikea instructions. They're very hard to, <laughs> hard to like understand. I get that because I was there and when I'm there, I'm like, no, this absolutely makes sense. How can you not understand? You leave and you're like, oh yeah, I could see where that doesn't really make sense in a practical application. So then they highlighted safety concerns. And so that's where I'm, I'm really, I struggle. And so, you know, you said you didn't get to come to the panel. I'm sorry to hear that. Lance Blundell was on the panel with me. We're both from CBDMD. And he said, we've submitted our safety studies in the UK and the EU. We are actually the only company in the world that's all the way through. And we've gone through the validation, which is kind of like a 190.6 check here in the United States. Yes, you've submitted all the information. Yes, you met the basic requirements to continue the safety review. We're in full review right now. We're back and forth with ESSA. We're responding. We're not on a stop, a clock stop, like most other companies are, because we've done the more than the basics. We've done a significant amount of safety work. So Lance said it must be that the rats on that study, like they drive on the other side of the road and they speak with a funny accent, because those rats were clearly okay, but these aren't. I, what he's trying to highlight and what I think is really concerning from our perspective is the United States is supposed to be leading in every possible way, in business, in science. And here the agency is going, shucks, I just don't have enough information. And they're pretty much saying that EU and UK don't know what they're doing, that they're potentially harming their customers because they're allowing a process to proceed. And FDA can't use the tools they already have. They need an entire new system to figure it out. So when that announcement came out, I, I lost my mind. I was like, wait, so FDA is saying that this, this botanical ingredient fell from an alien planet. It is an alien species we've never seen before. We don't, our tools won't work on this thing. Or they were, you know, spelunking and they found it in a cave. It's been buried for 10,000 years. We, we don't know what it is, can't identify it, and our tools won't work for it. People have been consuming it for thousands of years. No, it was not consumed in the quantity that they were consuming before. But you know what? We happen to have a notification process for that. It's called the new dietary ingredient notification process. So I, I'm, I'm struggling with that announcement because we offered them our safety data. We did a pre-NDI meeting. Um, it, it's met the burden in other countries. And UK and EU are not the only ones we're pursuing. It's met the burden in other, um, with other regulatory agencies. But with the United States, they're highlighting safety concerns with pregnant populations. So A, we fed it to pregnant rats and there were no concerns. We'll start with that. If you have concerns, which personally, I've had three children, I wouldn't take a lot of supplements when I'm pregnant unless they're absolutely necessary. So you label around it. You tell pregnant women not to take CBD, like you're not supposed to take caffeine, a lot of caffeine when you're pregnant. Should we take all caffeine off the market because a pregnant woman can consume it? I certainly hope not. Um, so that that was one issue. And then children could take it. So again, I have three kids. I don't, I would not feed CBD or most other supplements to my children unless there was an absolute need. You've got a developing system 
unless someone has done the safety studies to demonstrate there is a significant benefit in that population, you don't you don't provide it to that population. So their concerns seem somewhat arbitrary and capricious. There are rules that are already there to protect people and notifications have been submitted for botanical ingredients with pharmacological activity from or with pharmacological activity or activity in general. And I believe it's hundreds of unique notifications have gone through an NDI pathway and those ingredients are okay, but CBD is not. So that, that's where I'm, I'm struggling with this, with, with their statement. I'm struggling with their logic. I think they're angling for a center. I think they want a center with more authority and more money that'll kick the can down the road a decade at least. So they don't have to do a lot. They don't have to show the mouth on where the money that they've been paid to figure out CBD so far is gone. And they can maintain status quo. Yeah, I, everything you're saying, I mean, from, and obviously my depth of understanding of all this stuff is, you know, completely different than yours. Um, mm -hmm. But I know just reading it and being somebody that is trying to follow this from logic and, and trying to decipher things for both, you know, current clients, the community as a whole, everybody like that. I was coming across a lot of the same kind of questions you were having and, and frustrations and, and kind of saying, this, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. And I was remembering like back, this is maybe 2019, 2018. And I was thinking uh, it was like a piece of content I created. And I said something around the idea of like the, the, the pharmaceutical drug that the FDA created, uh, what's it? Epidiolex is, is Epidiolex. what they create. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, when they made that, um, I guess, approval and, and considered, you know, that a drug, I think at that point, they put themselves in, in a weird position where then they were like, okay, now what do we do? And, and how do we figure this out? And then it snowballed from there of just them trying to figure out where are we going to go with this? Because we've agreed here, but then how do we also agree that it could be a food or, or a supplement? And at that point, they wanted to I don't know, in my mind, maybe even wash our hands and say, let's just push this on somebody else and let them try to figure it out. And that was always going to be Congress and saying, okay, you, you need to figure out something else and figure out this because we made a mistake and we'd love for you guys to uh, help us out here. You know, it's really interesting. Every time Congress has sent a technical assistance over to the agency on this, I don't believe they've gotten a substantive response back. So the agency punted, kicked the can over to, to Congress and asked for help there. And then when Congress is saying, so, hey, our expertise is in, you know, legislation. You're the scientists. You're the toxicologists. You're the ones who are supposed to be deciphering the information they ask for help back. I don't think they're getting a lot in return. I think that FDA is telling them they need more information. So I've never seen another ingredient where they needed this much information to make a decision. And... I'm going to keep going back to like the basic tenets of Deshay. A manufacturer is supposed to tell you how much is safe, how much is not safe. They present that information to you. It's never been the agency's job to tell you like you can only have this much. It It's not. And so if you're going to sell something in a manner that, in which it wasn't historically consumed, do the due diligence and submit your data. So you also touched on an interesting on the drug exclusion and the race to market clause. And that I, I've talked to people who wrote that. 
um, the architects of Deshaies and had conversations, just curious, like why, what were you thinking? Not what were you thinking, but what were you thinking when you wrote that? And how were you kind of conceptualizing this? They never drafted it with the intent to have a race to market, where there would be a race to put an IND in place so that it precludes ingredients from being you know, used in a, in a supplement space. It was meant to carve out effects, right? And so if you're looking at drug level and drug studies, Drugs are allowed to hurt you as long as the benefit derived is greater than the harm. Supplements aren't. So there's already, there's a different standard there, right? Just basics. Supplement levels are historically significantly lower. Like we'll talk CBD, right? Supplement levels for CBD are significantly lower than they are for drug. Epidiolics, I think one of the lowest levels that they tested was 700 milligrams per, per day. And they tested it in a, in a child. That was the epidiolic study. So if you're feeding epidiolics to a 30 kilo human or a 25 kilo human, that's significantly different than a 70, which is like the basic 150 pound person. It goes up from there, right? So they were feeding at a higher tenfold, hundredfold higher level to something significantly smaller. And they're trying, I, I want to know what safety data they're relying upon other than epidiolex studies that were allowed to hurt because the harm drive was better for those specific populations. Like how are you driving safety and, and lack of safety, right? in this space from a drug study. That, they're different, they're different things. Supplements are also not allowed to purport to treat, mitigate, cure, right? So you yep. can't act like a drug. So if you act like a drug and you're at a drug level, then yes, I believe you're intended to be a drug. But what they're essentially saying now is anybody can go out and file an IND, which really isn't that hard, file an IND on something and preclude anyone from ever using it. Now, whether you actually continue to study it or not, whether the studies are withdrawn, that doesn't matter. In a, I believe it was N-acetylcysteine, the studies were withdrawn. They never actually proceeded all the way. And so the agency used that withdrawn study as a flag in the ground to say, you can't sell N-acetylcysteine, even though you have over 30 years of safe consumption. And they've done it again on NMN. So I actually, I'm more concerned, not that they're punting over to Congress and shirking their responsibilities. I'm more concerned that this appears to be a pattern of behavior and it's frightening. So from a supplement perspective, it's frightening. They're telling people we've forgotten where the food and drug administration, we're really focused on the drug administration side. And we feel like people should have access to drugs because we think those are safe. It almost seems like they're saying that things that are supplements really shouldn't be consumed. And they're pulling them off one by one and forcing people to go on that drug run. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not. I spent five, almost five and a half years in the Office of Dietary Supplement Programs. And I left Department of Defense and doing research because I wanted to help people. And I wanted to see my research applied in a much faster, you know, shorter timeline. So DOD, I'm doing radiation research and looking at nutraceuticals. It wouldn't be like treatable for people until 30 years later, right? Easy, maybe 30 years. So I left and I went to FDA and I thought maybe I can help people sooner. And I don't see the agency regulating in a reasonable way. I, I feel like they're, they're regulating from this perspective that supplements are just not safe. And that to me is really frightening. It, it's frightening. So um, yeah, they punted to Congress. No, I'm not surprised. Do I believe that if Congress tells the agency they have X period of time to create you know, draft a rule and, you know, go through the comment rulemaking, are they going to do it quickly? No, they had several documents that they asked for the agency to complete and the agency just punted. We don't have enough information. We can't do this. We need more time. 
So I, I, I don't know why they can't wrap their head around it, but they seem to draw on a line in the sand on this one. And they're kind of moving it back in a way that isn't favorable to our industry. And from your perspective and the business perspective, that also has to be frightening because you could tell someone right now that say you're, you're advising in a business perspective and you're saying, look, this is a new hot area. I definitely think I haven't seen a product like this. I haven't seen an ingredient like this. Yes, you want to take it to market. So you're looking at what, a million and a half because you want to do a safety study, at least one animal, maybe two, depending on your dose you're looking at. Efficacy studies, million and a half to two. It takes about a year, year and a half. Even if you do it right, the best case scenario, year, year and a half, they walk in the front door of the agency with the safety and the efficacy, like fully trying to follow the process. And they go, I'm sorry, I appreciate you doing that. But there's actually an IND in place. You couldn't search for it. We're not transparent about that. But that's going to prevent you from actually taking this to market, even though you've done due diligence. Why would you ever advise someone to go down that path? It's it's frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I think the point um, that you brought up around just the broader impact, I think, is super important to kind of consider. And and, and I'm also not a conspiracy theorist or any of those types of things, but I'm also somebody that thinks in game theory and, and thinks about how people are are moving, I guess, chess pieces around based on the rules of the game. And and to me, at least, I feel like it is a little bit of the FDA kind of saying, I think we want a, a different regulatory pathway. We'd love to modernize um, Diche um, in however way they would like to do that. And it's their way of, you know, kind of targeting specific ingredients and, and saying, hey, this is Look! Look at this mistake here. Look at you know here. We see this a different way. We see this, we have to re-look at this whole situation. And I know I've mentioned this a ton of different times before. And this is nothing against you know anybody that's in government or anything like that. But I know that they tend to mean well. But the more that they stick their hands in the things, I feel like the more things get messed up um, because I don't know if all perspectives are usually looked at and and maybe my perspective maybe is just the minority so maybe that's why i feel like that happens but i do think that there is like a lot that the if it's cbd or the nnm or or anesthesial all these types of things where you start to get into this idea of if they could do it there they could do it anywhere and they're just going to claw in different areas to see how far you can push how far you could push until it gets to the point where maybe they are going to kind of leverage or push their way to into some new, I guess, modernization of the of the structure or some different way that their office is going to be uh, organized or however that's going to be. I just feel like this is just their way of kind of pushing back in any way they knew how. Some smart person in the office decided from a strategy perspective, this was the way to get the best uh, of what they wanted. And, and this is the approach that they're taking. It, it yeah it's it's concerning i mean and look one of them you're like oh that's weird another one you're like hmm, that's strange then you get to three and you're like what <laughs> if we're keeping we're starting to keep score here we're like wait a second are all of those unsafe are all of those a concern and i i mean if you talking about authorities and stuff this is total tangent right but mandatory product listing um they need a database and they fully expect all of the companies that they're worried about to submit a label 
Like, really? You think everyone's going to submit a label for that? That's that's really cute. I don't think so. I mean, what's to stop somebody from making up a fake number or something, right? Like, or why would they even bother to register? So if they haven't gone through the process now, why would they comply then? They're all of a sudden going to get worried about it because there's a list. I, yeah, I, I, anyway, I can go on and on about that and why they didn't send a warning letter on the ingredient based upon the status alone. I don't know. I don't know. Cause that's an easy, you failed to comply. You know, you either need to submit a new dietary ingredient or, Oh, by the way, you're an end. You're never have a pathway through. You're a drug. You're precluded something. They didn't, they, they paused, they hesitated, they waited. And it was, it, you're looking at it and they have safety concerns, then tell us what your safety concerns are in a warning letter, you know, or give us a real path through the front door and let us show you what we have. Because I, I personally, you know, what do we hope if it goes to Congress? Maybe, maybe Congress will pass a bill. I've been hearing about it. So I left FDA in 2020. I joined CBDMD in 2021. I've been hearing about legislation for a very long time. Haven't seen anything come through. There are a lot of bills bipartisan support, and then people try to throw other stuff on there and they get killed, or, you know, we're about to go into a presidential cycle. So I, I'm concerned that, I mean, this year is completely shot, next year probably will be too. So legislation in a congressional path is pretty far out, right? So they're going to kick the can down the curb. And in the interim, you've got things that exist out there in this space that are now concerning. They aren't naturally derived. They're created. We've had tests done with labs like Alchemist. I love Alchemist, and there are unidentified peaks in there. There's some dangerous stuff in there. Go enforce on that. Go take those off the market. How about this? Go inspect the CBD facility. <laughs> yeah, go, yeah, go, go do what you already are mandated to to do from an enforcement standpoint, and and see how how things go. And I think that brings up like a point that just kind of came across. I think with what the the DEA and and some of those um that's Delta eight or nine and and a synthetic side of that, and just how much of I think those synthetic compounds are are coming out there in different areas, and how that affects everything. And that's something that I think is is, is kind of a little bit scary uh, because I do think like you get into consumer behavior or just consumer education or consumer understanding of supplements. And I think that, you know, us in the, I guess, like, you know, echo chamber, we believe that um, consumers are probably much further along from uh, an education standpoint on these things than, than, you know, us, because we're, we're in it all the time. We're like, Oh, you know, they should know about this stuff, but you know, they're probably still kind of trying to figure out what, fats, carbs, and protein are, let alone um, any of these types of things. And I know that maybe sounds silly or no, not, but honestly, you spend accurate. time, you know, talking to even people that you're like, wow, this guy looks or girl looks like they're really in shape. They must know a lot. You get to the conversation. No, it's just, you know, a lot of other things going on that just you know, ends up that they have a good, uh, you know, wellness or health or whatever it is. But I think this specifically, when you start to get into like people's interest into a new thing like CBD and, and then maybe not knowing the, I guess, the differences or the nuance between maybe some of the synthetic or the, you know, if it's full spectrum over the isolate over all these types of things, you start to like, they group it all together for, for the ease of their mind of like, it has to be all the same, but that creates like a ton of issue. And, and they've obviously the DEA at least, you know, came out and, and said, hey, these two things are no, no, these are not, these are not good. Mm -hmm. So it, yes, you hit on a couple of really important points from our perspective as well. So 
naturally derived, you know where it's coming from. You can adjust ratios based upon the plant components and, and you know, how, how you, you can add in MCT oil or things like that and dilute the ratios. That I understand. Delta-8 is naturally found in the plant. It's there. It exists. It's found in the plant. However, there's not enough in a plant when you extract it naturally to make it reasonable for, from a manufacturing perspective, cost perspective, to extract on enough to feed someone in a, in a serving. It's not present in a quantity that makes sense. So if you want Delta-8, you have to convert it. You either synthetically convert it or you make it in a lab. And so a lot of things out there right now are calling themselves Delta-8 and saying it's hemp-derived. Sure, I'm sure it was might have been from hemp at one point or you made it and it looks like that thing. It's not the same thing. And the reason that's frightening is they're making it and leaving additional stuff in there. Whatever they use to create it or force convert some of these people that are playing in that space have made the decision they're already going to walk over the line where you know DEA said no. So they're not really concerned about what else they left in. So we're finding unidentified peaks in those because curious, what is out there and what is on the market that is trying to compete with what we're doing? It, they are not the same animal. They're not the same thing. And if you have ever talked to someone who's tried those products or have, if you've tried them yourself, they are not the same feeling. It is a synthetic, it is a weird synthetic feeling. So D8 was the start and then it just spiraled. It's let's add extra carbons and chains and things on. I mean, you've got, I went to a regulatory conference, a legal conference actually and spoke, I think it was last year and they were talking about HHC. That was the new one, the big one. So it's like making butter. You hydrogenate a THC chain though, instead of hydrogenating, you know, butter. So it's a margin butter or what have you. It, it's frightening. So they're synthetically creating these things and calling them supplements. THCOs, the THCJDs. I made fun of it the other day because I work with our general counsel. And I was like, oh, look, they made one for you. <laughs> THCJD. Um, they're not the same. And they're selling them in quantities that are intended to get you messed up. So let's, let's take a hard step back from what is it going to do to you and all the, the crazy things that are in there that I would not eat. But there is no legal path. So if you wanted to follow a true path and you went down the supplement route, right? So you're a dietary ingredient, you would never have a path through for one of those synthetic cannabinoids because FDA has said hard no on a synthetic copy. So other than vitamins, which are very specific cases, synthetics are a no. So, okay, you can't go through the supplement front door. People are going to think about self-grass. I listened in on some of the Colorado task force meetings and I heard that group and look, the states are trying to fill a gap where the agency has fallen behind. And so they're trying. They also don't have the scientific expertise that FDA does. And so they're well-intentioned, but they don't quite grasp the regs. And so they were talking about self-grass. Okay, if applied the right way, yes, I understand. You have a real committee set and you review the information. There's a technical effect for that ingredient. So what technical effect is a Delta-8 or a THCO or an HHC going to have? Are you really going to say it's to get you messed up? No, that actually is not on the list. You can look. It's not on the list of technical effects that are approved for food additives. So you, you have no legal pathway through the front door. They never have a way to get on the market the right way. So I look at those as being their noise, their concerning. And look, the longer things like that persist on the market, the more likely it is that someone's going to get hurt. And that makes the agency's job easy. They're like, oh, look, we actually attribute an AER to that. And if you look in the adverse event database, and I looked in CARES, I haven't looked in FAIRS, but the CIFSAN adverse event reporting system, look at the search for CBD, 
cannabidiol or hemp. There really aren't that many. The ones that are in there, they don't differentiate between I took a D8 or mm. I took an HHC or I took a Delta 9 or I took a synthetic or it just says supplement. Some of them will actually give you brand names. Most of them won't. It's, you know, collected in emergency rooms or self-reporting. So there is no distinguishing between what one of those synthetic derivatives that's meant to get you messed up and a real hemp extract are. There, there is no differentiation. And so that's concerning. So I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not focusing on CIFSAN or the care system. I'm just focusing on from a health and safety perspective. You've got things out there that can very likely hurt you. And you've got things out there that are less likely. I'm not going to say they won't. What if somebody chokes on it? What if somebody takes a significant yeah. amount like epidiolics levels for too long? Sure. But it, those things will continue to persist as long as the agency continues to sit on their hands. And so it's, it's frightening. Um, but you'll see more states. States are coming out and saying no. DEA said no. Um, hopefully they start looking at some of these other synthetically derived ones and knock them off. Um, and until the agency actually does something about it, I'm going to actually it, applaud the states for trying to step up um, and at least protect some of their customers, right? And then I want to shift for the last part of our conversation more, I guess, in a, in a business uh, function side of this. Um, okay. There was a recent, I guess, change or, or relaxing of policies um, with Twitter and, and them being, I guess, taking the lead on on the digital platforms in terms of the ads and allowing, you know, kind of cannabis ads and not just, I guess, talking about that um, and, and just, you know, I guess the, hopefully that helping um, some of these other ones, um, be it Meta or Google or, or, or any of the other ones kind of maybe relax theirs a little bit and kind of come up with similar, if it's, you know, licensing or approval processes or restrictions in terms of targeting or whatever that is, like creating some of that stuff for um, the proper companies. But I think I want to broaden this up just a little bit to just the frustration of like any cannabis company not having the basic tools to like run a business, you know, if that's like banking or marketing tools or any of these kind of like things, like it's it's got to be like frustrating um, because of this situation that as a whole has been in, because like you, you just have to go and, and kind of do everything that our normal, say, CPG company is doing, but then backdoor and kind of MacGyver your way around things just to like get some similar, um, I guess, like results. Like it, it's just, it's, it's just frustrating. So here's the rub. I'm going to take that one step further as a CBD company right now, you can't submit a structure function notification to the agency. You're out, right? So if you want to educate customers on what your product does, you have to be willing to take a risk that you're making an unapproved claim, right? So for most people, you can, you, they won't buy something. If you tell them, take this, take this product, I promise you, it's going to do something for you. I can't tell you what it is, but I want you to take it and you're going to feel better. That's essentially where a lot of companies are at right now. And so you either have to take, take a calculated risk and say, look, we're going to educate people on what it does and what it doesn't, or you're not. There are platforms that are open and there are platforms that are closed and it's incredibly challenging. MacGyver is a great way of saying, and I like that reference. You, you have to think creatively, right? And you have to be able to, I mean, and look, at least they're policing, you know, and claims and rules and stuff like that for the most part. Um, but you, 
and I'm not saying that we're like trying to step out, but we're seeing other people like, wait, how do they do that? And they'll get knocked off. So um, you also have doors closed on major networks. So if you want to put a commercial on TV, good luck. You, yeah. you can't. I mean, I think there, we opened the door on one network because of, I, it was largely because of the NSF for sport conversation. Um, when we went through the product cert and we opened the door on the sport cert and got that out there, it helped um, so that we can actually talk to certain places and have certain commercials out. We sponsored Jimmy Johnson. And so we're on his, on his helmet and on his suit and you have to, I mean, you might get a little airtime, but no one is going to air a commercial about CBDMD on prime time. So his commercial was in the Super Bowl. Could we promote it? Nope. <laughs> nope. Um, so it is incredibly frustrating that doors like that are closed. I mean, and if you want to talk about business and e-commerce, not just promoting and marketing, doors are closed in a lot of retail situations. So because of the NSF for sport, we've worked with Wegmans and we're on the shelf in a number of Wegmans stores. That's one of the first grocery channels that's been open to it. Convenience stores are starting to open, but look at a Walmart, hard no. Yeah. Look at a Costco, hard no. Um, so you don't have the opportunity to sell your products in brick and mortar and retail stores like most other companies do. Um, and you have to find creative workarounds for that as well. So it's, it's challenging. I mean, I don't even wanna get into the baking part of it. We haven't actually had that issue. And we're one of the few companies that is on the New York Stock Exchange. I mean, we are out there, yeah. out there, right? But I mean, it has been incredibly challenging and I think it, it adds to some of, the, some of the issues and concerns in this space. Yeah, well, I had a blast talking. I think um, I always love talking to people that are passionate and and well informed and insightful and and just willing to share their opinion on on a ton of things. So I had a I had a blast. I know that my audience is going to get a ton of um, value out of this content. So I appreciate all the time that you gave me. Thank you for the opportunity. This was great. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly. 